Well, look at that. It's Thursday. That means it is time for another AEW Dynamite review here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. We're on your favorite podcast application. I'm Mr. Warren Hayes. It is uh, uh, August 3rd today. Hope everyone is having a good start to August and is having a nice week so far. And I want to thank you for listening in, whether it's on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes, where you can leave a like and a uh, subscription. Those things help. Or on your favorite podcast application where you can leave five-star reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings on Spotify. Again, these things help out tremendously. You want to do that? That'd be great. Because we are going to be talking about a great episode of Dynamite. This I thought this was fun as hell. I thought this was good. And to a degree, one would even say it felt needed. We're going to talk about this as we go along, but this was the big... 200th episode of AEW Dynamite, which has been better hyped, in my opinion, than the Wembley show where they are about to uh, make professional wrestling history, or very likely about to make professional wrestling history. Uh, There's only three more Dynamites before the show. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you at this point. You know, I'm here I am and I'm thinking in the back of my brain and I'm going, oh, you know, we got to do a preview show. I'm probably going to do a preview show like I do with most uh, uh, AEW pay-per-views. And I'm like, mm, you know, and then I want to reach out to guests. Then I'm like, who am I, who am I going to invite on a show that has nothing? <laughs> right? Anyway. Um... And this uh, this episode that we're speaking of specifically is the August 2nd edition from the Youngling Center in Tampa, Florida. We had 3,658 tickets distributed as of this morning. Of course, I'm recording this on Thursday. Uh, so as of this morning on WrestleTix, set up a 4,482. Yeah, you know, we're in the, this is the, you know, this is the average. This is what it, uh, this is what it looks and feels like for Dynamite. That is celebrating this 200th episode. I, 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 200 episodes, right, for a company that I was I was told would be dead within a year. And then, and then when it survived its first year, so it'd be dead within the next one. Oh, it'll be dead within five years. And we're we're heading into five years. It's gonna have it's going to be a year of tremendous business. And it's probably going to end up with a very good. Um, with a very good uh, 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 television deal on top of it all. What are we doing? Sitting around prognosticating the death of something that we potentially have no concept of how it's it's operating. But, you know, it's fine. What, one, of the, one of the things that I find most amusing out of the, out of the bad faith pundits, you know, and, 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 and Twitter bozos, Twixter bozos. That's how I've decided to call it, by the way. All of these bozos out there, you know, one of the things I find most amusing following all these people watching their things is how they keep moving the goalposts and how they will never accept an L and they will, you know, they're they're just throwing shit at the wall so that within, you know, 10 years from now, when something bad happens, they'll be like, bro, I've been saying this since 2020. You know, I was, I was calling, I thought it was never going to survive. And, you know, even though that like, 
you know, the company's like 15 years old. It's doing very well. Something bad happens. It's going to die within the year. And I've been saying this since 2020. I hope. You know, I say this quite a bit. But it's be if I do, it's because it's meaningful. Because it's sincere. I hope you, my A-plus audience who listens to this D-list podcast, I hope you're able to parse through this nonsense and zero in on people who, f who you feel are fair, have good observations, and are not just bad faith operators. And you know who they are. I'm pretty sure you do. At this point, you have to have figured it out. You know, and, and of course, I, you know, I like to consider that I'm part of your, uh, that I'm part of your listening rotation because I have something to offer that is meaningful, that makes sense, but not just me. There are other people out there who do fantastic jobs. Do you know if I'm in, if I'm in your rotation, I'm humbled. Thank you. But let's get right to it. No. Enough of this backpack, pat, 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 back padding, back self, self high fiving. How about that? <laughs> Which I didn't do my, I didn't do my, 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 uh, my uh, allocation uh, 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 warm ups yet. You know, mwah, meow. You know, I didn't do that. So, you know, mouth is all over the place. I haven't done my, my verbal warm ups. Chris Jericho and Kineske Takeshita defeated uh, Dan Garcia and Sammy Guevara. Good little match to kick this off. Um, everyone getting their stuff in. And Sammy, you know, had a lot of shine in this match. And he looked very good, if you ask me. Got a super hot tag in this. Lands a tornillo and a frog splash and a shooting star press to the floor. Like, you know, he's doing Sammy Guevara stuff. I still don't think he works as a babyface, but this ruled. Garcia blocks a Judas effect, blocks in the Dragon Slayer. Don Callis was at ringside, of course, with Jericho and, and Takeshita. Clocks uh, Garcia across the head with the bat, with Jericho's bat, Floyd. Chris Jericho sees him do it. And Jericho, is, he, has a, he has a crisis of conscience. A crisis of conscience. Crisis of conscience. Jesus, Warren. Maybe I should have done my warm-ups. He does have, you know, he has a moment where he looks over. He looks at Garcia. He looks at Callis. He's not quite sure. But hey, he goes for the win anyway. He gets the he gets the old one, two, three on, uh, on Dan Garcia here. So that's an interesting little wrinkle into this whole story and a good little opener too. I mean, you know, this was mostly an angle, but uh, still very entertaining and a, a well put together. And Jericho had his working boots on too. Like he was, uh, he was doing stuff and, uh, you know, Kineske, you know, if I'm a pro wrestler, like I'm not a pro wrestler. Maybe I'll just keep it on that level because I don't want to speak, but I'm not a pro wrestler. Let's say I'm in a ring and I see Kineske Takeshita, run the fucking ropes at me like he does. Like, like he is a high-speed bullet train to, you know, fucking Osaka or Tokyo or wherever. Like, that guy, does anyone run the ropes as fast as Takeshita does? 
That's insane stuff. I mean, this is not Taya Valkyrie hitting the ropes. Hey, yo. Um, but and I enjoyed the match. And I thought it was a good little opener. Gives us a nice little angle to kick things off. Good stuff. A hey, Tony Khan AI welcomes us to the program. That. Come on. Look, I love Tony Khan, if only because he is the most memeable person in pro wrestling. I don't know what to tell you. He is extraordinary. Whether it's, you know, facial expressions, whether it's, you know, well, that's mostly it, actually. Or drinking water or wearing a cowboy hat or these backstage segments where he's absolutely re reading off a prompter. And that is that is absolutely OK, by the way. Not a pro I don't have an issue at all with anyone reading off a prompter. You want to make sure you, you, you know, you, you, you hit exactly the right uh, words, the right tone, the right. Uh, you know, you want to make sure you get all your talking points. And that's not what I'm laughing at. We're having a, a chuckle towards. <laughs> it's more Tony just being there and just like, hello, fellow wrestling fans. And it's like, <laughs> he didn't say that, but that's what it, that's how it comes off is what I'm trying to say. He's, you know, hello. Brilliant. I love him so much. He did blink, though. He blinked like within the first 10 seconds of, of starting. And I'm pretty sure he didn't afterwards. But, the, you know, it was a, wasn't a long message. Um, and he, you know, talks about he, you know, we're, that we're on the verge of, you know, being a, of the biggest wrestling show of all time. So, okay, let's let's get the ball going then. But, you know, he welcomes us to 200 episodes of Dynamite. And we have a nice little video package recapping some of the big moments of, uh, of uh, Dynamite uh, 200. And it's crazy. You're looking back at stuff and you're like, holy shit. Look at all this great stuff that happened and, and stuff that I feel fond memories about. You know, you know, they did, you know, they showed the, the the table spot, the glass table spot with Mox and Kenny and the, uh, you know, the 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 uh, parking lot brawl and a whole bunch of shit. I'm like, you know what? This we're five years in. There is history to this. Like any if anyone wanted to start back. To start up a, you know, a, a, a rewatch of old AEW stuff, I think it's reasonable to do so. There's a lot of shit that happened in five years. A lot of memorable stuff as well. Good, bad, lots of good. But uh, I thought that was nice. I thought it was well put together, wasn't overblown, didn't outstay its welcome. I saw people going, oh, look at... Oh, they didn't put much of CM Punk, did they? Well, CM Punk didn't debut on, on, on Dynamite. If you will recall, I believe it took like a month. He was on Rampage. That was, that was CM Punk's show. He was on week after week on Rampage, and I believe it took like a month before he showed up on Dynamite. Something to that effect. Someone will prove me wrong if, I'm not, if I am. Oh, they showed a lot of Cody eating moves. So they also showed him with Brandy, like doing his entrance. It's so petty. It's pro wrestling. Who cares? Let 
as I always say, let, let's do more of that. Let's do more of that. Um, I'm off track already. Back from commercial. We have Renee Paquette. She's talking with Chris Jericho. And Daddy Magic Matt Menard comes in. And he says, we need to have a mandatory meeting. We need to have a mandatory meeting next week, Chris. Am I, I am legitimately working on my Matt Menard impression. Sports entertainers. I was like, we need, next week, we're having a Jericho Appreciation Society. We're having a mandatory meeting. Chris. <laughs> you know, guy. I don't want to. <laughs> I love Matt Menard. That's the. That's all. That's all there is to it. Um, yeah. So JAS are fucking fed up with this bullshit. Can't say I blame them. I'm interested to see what the what the um, what the end game here is. Because look, uh, what if it is Don? What if Don Callis ends up seducing all of the Jericho Appreciation Society over to his side? I think I yeah, yeah right. Wouldn't that be the uh, the utmost swerve? Like Don Callis goes, no, hey, hey, Chris, you blew it, pal. I gave you, you know, I wined and dined you, and you you led me on. I gotta move forward here. And then we have the you know the new Don Callis. I think that I think that's that might be a thing, but we'll see. I still wonder what the end game is here. Uh, Tony Scavone is in the ring. He has Jack Perry come out. Jack says, uh, well, he grabs the microphone out of, and Tony, I was talking, Chris, Chris, Kristen and I were watching Dynamite together last night. And, and she asked, and, 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 and she asks me, cause, cause Tony is, you know, he's talking and then Perry rips the mic out of his hand and Tony just keeps going. Bad, bad. What are we talking about? Jungle Perry. Jungle Jack Perry, Jack Jungle Perry. Uh, Perry gets Jerry Lynn to come out, right, to to take his his ass whooping like a man. And uh, Jerry Lynn comes out and he says, "Look, all the plates and you know screws that he has in his neck, it's just not going to happen." Like you know, you know, some people thought that this was going to be a match. I was like, first of all, you know, it was advertised as being a face to face, and knowing. Jerry Lynn's surgical history like there's no way this guy's ever wrestling again you know he's not taking a bump at the very least like that's insane but you know so then he says uh you know I can't wrestle anymore but you know I know a good friend from back in the day in ECW still wrestles today says it's Rob Van Dam and Rob Van Dam comes out to the surprise well I mean it was kind of it was going around in the news earlier in the day, but it's still a nice surprise because he came out to Pantera. He came out to his old theme. And look, you can bitch about what you want. There's many things you can criticize Tony Khan for, but Tony Khan understanding the brain of a wrestling fan, that's something you cannot, uh, you can't take away from him because everyone lost their shit. Unless you've never watched, you know, a single episode of ECW, weren't around in the day, that's fine. But all of us old heads, we all just collectively lost it. 
and I got shivers. And I was telling Kristen, I have shivers. This is great. He gets it. It's like Danielson with the final countdown. He understands this shit. Tony does. And this only comes from being a fan himself. From being one of us, you know, with, uh, from the get-go. So, uh, Jack Perry slinks out of the ring when Rob Van Dam gets there. And Jerry and Rob have a nice little moment in the ring. And then Perry tries to, he runs in with a chair, tries to take a, a, a swing at Rob who ducks. And then uh, Perry avoids a jumping roundhouse by, um, uh, by Rob Van Dam and he hits the bricks. Good, uh, uh, very effective segment. And this, look, the idea, right, is that, and you could hear Taz chuckling. The idea, of course, is because, you know, uh, um, uh, the um, because Jack Perry was running down ECW and telling Taz, I can beat any of your boys. It's not going to be Jerry Lynn, but then this is one of Taz's boys, and they're going to have a match next week on Dynamite. You know, people say, oh, Rob Van Dam can still go. Well, he can still wrestle. I think, look, we'll see what happens, but we're going to have to pump the brakes on. He can still go until we, you know, we'll see. Like he can still do his uh, his round his jumping roundhouses, so that's that's something. Um, but I'm still excited nonetheless for this. This is a great angle. And again, look, there is not a promotion on earth that has not tapped in to ECW to get shit over. You you can sit here and you can complain as much as you want. In regards to how ECW was a poor influence in the business, and I will tell you every time it was the absolute opposite and how much it's influenced the business and we're fucking 30 years removed from the the heyday of this company and people still remember it fondly. And ECW didn't have like this 15-year stretch. We're talking like, the what were the good years? Four years tops for, EW, for ECW, right? Like the really good years? And I'm, I, am I being generous? And we're still talking about it today. And we're still bringing people back. And we're like, yeah, remember ECW? That was fucking great. Influential. There's no promotion on earth that will, that, that will not use it to, to some extent. Um... We get a promo from Hikaru Shida, or pre-tape, I should say. Now she's going to win the title. Tony Storm says she's not. This is all setting up their match for later tonight. This leads us to Trent Beretta defeating John Moxley and Penta El Zero Miedo in there. No disqualifications, man. And this was fantastic. This was fantastic. Absolutely amazing plunder match. There's a baseball bat covered in wire. And I'm like, okay, I, weapons wild. <laughs> this is, now the weapons are wild. <laughs> Moxie uses it on Trent, slashes him with it. Trent suplexes him, suplexes Mox onto the bat. And uh, we have Trent and Mox flying off the corner through tables on the floor. We've got shit all around the ring. Penta does an avalanche destroyer through a table. We've got pile drivers on tacks and back body drops on tacks. 
a scrunchie by Trent on tax. And then we this leads us to the finish where Mox pilot uh, lands the Death Rider or the uh, fucking um, the Paragon of Virtue, the uh, shit. What do, what, do the, what do we call it in North America? The, the, the paradigm shift. <laughs> he lands it on Penta, but Trent runs in, kicks Mox off, and steals the win, which I thought was badass. Finally, fucking best friends get a semblance of a win here. Look, I thought this match ruled. I thought this match absolutely ruled. Tremendous stuff and great work. And not you know, not sloppy. Just guys just throwing shit at each other and into each other. I hope they cleared everything with the coaches backstage before. I'm telling you, I'm feeling sassy today. Um, you know, the, uh, look, this was, this is, I don't know if you all listened to the Mr. Warren Hayes show this week. You know, the, 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 the you know, my own little mothership podcast but um this is what i mean when i you know when i watch a, a match like this and then i'm told you know weapons wild on nxt and i see the softest shit happening you know on a no disqualification match where two people are supposed to hate each other and you know they come out smiling and hugging and you know I, you know i don't i'm want to get back into that but this is what i mean when i say when i look at a when i look at you know the softest of pg plunder matches on one end and i'm like i i can't get into this and then i tune in three nights later and i see this awesome shit happening how can i sit around and go like yeah, yeah, yeah. how how can i be how can I then look at whatever happens in these Weapon Wild matches on NXT and be like, yeah, this was great. No, it stunk. This was great. And don't tell me it's two different things. No, it's not. It's not. Because the minute you decide to get hardcore, bring in weapons, it has to, you have to sell that. It has to come off as hard and dangerous. This was it here. After the match, Claudio and Yuda, they make their way to the ring. They want to come get some licks in, but uh, Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy ambush them. They brawl into, in, in the crowd. Hopefully they got all of this covered. <laughs> uh, just great stuff. Just a big brawl at the end. Um... And uh, Chucky e. T gets on the mic and uh, he says, look, we're going to finish this proper on Rampage this week. We're going to go back to, we're going to head back to Daly's place and we're going to have ourselves a parking lot brawl. And I'm like, okay, Rampage is the A show again. So that'll give us something to talk about. Uh, then we get uh, Rob Van Dam being interviewed backstage by Renee, basically saying, you know, he's going to challenge him for the FTW title. And when he wins, he's going to inflate the value to ridiculous levels and then retire it. And he calls him Jungle Jerk. <laughs> and he's so high. He, you know, you're looking at him. First of all, this is probably one of 
probably one of Rob's best promos, period. Like, not necessarily known for his for his work on, on the stick. Uh, however, calling him Jungle Jerk was pretty boss. And goddamn was he high. But it's, it's Rob Van Dam. MJF next comes to the ring to a big reaction from the crowd. He's got the belt. He's looking great. And he says, look, we got to have a heart to heart. Heart to heart. Heart to heart. He says he's going to be a little emotional. Talks about his, uh, his uh, battle with attention deficit disorder. He says, with, with that comes a litany of other disorders, including rejection sensitive dysphoria, which uh, uh, where you have trouble managing feelings of rejection, they get overblown out of proportion. And, uh, you know, he brings back that story that he's told us before about being bullied when he was a kid. The story about the quarters and anti-Semitic taunts being thrown at him. And uh, that sort of led him into becoming a scumbag. He's like, I have to stab people in the back before they stab me in the back. So, you know, he recognizes he's a scumbag. And But being a scumbag, it's easy. Getting booze, it's easy. Being vulnerable is hard. And he realizes that the audience has sympathy for the devil. And he's not going to change overnight. He's not suddenly going to... He's still going to be a scumbag. But he's going to be our scumbag, which, which gets the people to chant. Look, they chanted for ADD, which made him chuckle, right? And uh, which made me chuckle as well. And people, you know, chanting, you know, you're our scumbag. Fantastic stuff. And then he gets Adam Cole into the ring, who comes out and there's, you know, no music, no uh, Adam Cole, baby, none of that stuff. Cole puts him over, saying he's one of the best in the world. He appreciates the man he's becoming, having the guts to talk about what he's been through. And Cole wants him to know that he's not alone. MJF says he enjoys the verbal fellatio. He called, but he called him out here because uh, he had a, you know, he promised him a title shot and he tells, he says, look, I've decided you don't deserve a match. Then everyone's like, what the fuck? Okay, here we go. But no, he deserves the match and he has a contract with them. This is the biggest crowd, main event, Wembley, all in. Adam Cole versus MJF has been set. And backstage, Roderick Strong is is throwing a tantrum and he's tossing shit around. He's breaking monitors. He's kicking things. He still has his neck brace. I'm like, don't strain yourself, Rod. Careful now. Don't want to re-aggravate that injury. And then the kingdom are there. Matt Taven, Mike Bennett. And say, hey, you know, look at that. Adam Cole forgetting his his real friends again. And then they walk away. So there's all, all this ROH history going on right here. So, Lots to break down here. Um, first of all, very you know sincere and emotional promo from MJF. Something we've seen him done do before. This isn't like it shouldn't come to a surprise to anyone. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, good stuff. I enjoyed it. Uh, you, you know, there's something that has to be said about you know how uh, about how you know these. These tough guys, these pro wrestlers can come to the ring and be open about, you know, shit things they've lived through, their feelings, their disorders, talking about things that as dudes, as men, we're typically, you know, 
typically we're supposed to sort of bottle that up inside or, you know, we're not supposed to talk about how we feel. We're not supposed to, you know, uh, bring forth any issues. And men, just like anyone else, you know, uh, I'm not trying to make us feel special, you know, everyone has problems. And I think that having people come out and open themselves up and show themselves to be vulnerable on television, I think that does help, you know, breakdown barriers might be a little strong, but uh, it does help create uh, a sense of, of, uh, of normalcy a little more as, as, as we go more and more through it, as opposed to just being, no, you got to be alpha males. I, I think there's something, there's something uh, sane to begin with and refreshing uh, on a second level uh, to have people just come out, public, public personas like that, people that you don't expect to be in these vulnerable positions, to be vulnerable. You know, we saw Mox do that with his own uh, drinking problems. You know, it's like, I, I enjoy this stuff on that level. And I think it's, it's fresh enough and it's new enough and it's not overwrought either. You know, we're not going to have MJF then hit the circuit and said, well, you know, I hope that, you know, through my words, you know, people will, you know, understand ADD more. It's, I mean, that's what he's doing, but we're not ham-fisting this. And I think that's very, you know, I, I, I think that's very uh, interesting on, on that level. Now, the main event, no, before the main event, um, before we get to the main event, MJF. and Look, I've been talking about this on the collision reviews, and I think we're closer and closer to this, right? Because... CM Punk drawing an X on the belt and calling it the real world championship. That is shots fired. That is the opening of the CM Punk MJF feud, right? CM Punk wants to be a heel in AEW. Creative right now just want him to pump the brakes and go a little, hmm. but you know that, that promo that he cut last Saturday where everyone got nuts and I talked about it on the Collision Show in detail and I'm not going to, these are the, you know, these are the, 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 the cliff notes here. The promo that got everyone mad and so on. He, these are heel promos he's cutting. Oh, he shouldn't, he took a shot at the Bucks, at the Elite, who cares? And the promos that he's cutting are heel promos. He's saying it in his promos. I'm straight edge. I'm better than you. This like, there's no, he's leaning more and more into it. He's baby facing with, 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 uh, um, Ricky Starks right now, but I'm willing to bet 10 Canadian rubber bucks. Then he's going to use the ropes to beat Ricky Starks this Saturday. We're CM Punk wants to be a heel. They wanted him to come in as a face, but from the get-go, from the very first promo he cut on the very first collision, he has been healing it up, and it's been a little off and on. He's been tweening, but he's leaning towards heel. In the meantime, we've got MJF here being the babyface. What does this mean to you? What are we trying to do here? And MJF doubled nigh, tripled down on being a babyface. And I don't think this is all for a big swerve on Adam Cole. I don't think this is what it's for. I think this is clearly to establish a line between CM Punk and MJF where MJF will be the clear babyface 
and CM Punk will be the nasty heel. Because right now, that the MJF and Adam Cole is working like crazy. Look at the rating that Collision popped. We talked about it on the podcast this week. So there's something working here. People are gravitating to it. And MJF, if anything, is demonstrating he can do it all. He can do whatever the hell he wants. He can be a top heel. He can be a top babyface. Like, my main takeaway is how this guy can do it all. He is a he is a, 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 a an unparalleled pro wrestler. You just pop him in and out in any type of situation, and he will he will own the room. And he's not. It's, so what I'm saying here is that. I am not expecting anymore a big MJF swerve on Adam Cole. I think this is purposeful to get MJF to be the biggest fucking babyface possible so that when he's in the ring with CM Punk and CM Punk starts being an asshole, we know who to we know who to turn on. That's what I think I'm doing. They're doing. Now the th- conventional wisdom right now has people saying, "Well, if they're doing Adam Cole, and MJF at All In, they're doing CM Punk and uh, they're, they're, they're obviously doing CM Punk and MJF at All Out, which feels a little weird. I still think there's mileage in this to get us to full gear. And I think it would be even more significant if it was at full gear because it was at full gear 2022 feels like eons ago, I had to think about it for a second, but it was at full gear 2022 that CM Punk was supposed to drop the belt to, to, to MJF. So there, there would be a full circle significance if they did it there. And I still think that's where they should do it. Not rush into this. That's what, what do you do for the main event for All Out? Look, brother, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't, I, I, I feel like Right now, things are messy enough as it is with All In barely being announced. Barely, like, we got a match on it, right? And that's about it. We can start fantasy booking, but there's really only one match announced. Uh, I don't even want to know what's going on backstage, you know? Apparently, you know, it's a bit of a mess. That's That's what my haunts have been saying. I don't know how, you know, that's all I know. That's all I've been told. I don't know, like, I cannot confirm or not, but I would not, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying that it, you know, it absolutely is. I'm saying is that I would not be surprised if it is. That being said, MJF, babyface, is to face CM Punk. As for the main event for uh, for All In, you see, this is why I like to to, to sleep on things because you know I went to bed last night thinking about the main event and was like, "That's a choice." Isn't that interesting? You know, Cole MJF is that your main event? And then I'm just thinking about everything that's been happening over the past few weeks and how there's still so much stuff you can fill the mid the 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 the, the undercard with. I'm like, well, maybe maybe this just works out fine because this angle is hot. It is molten hot look at the crowd reactions look at the ratings you know it's been popping quarter hours what do you want from me this is working it might not be like i said like i've said my 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 cup of tea i think there's been 
equal parts hits and misses throughout this build. But the hits have been good. I thought this was a good segment. We'll see how the rest of this card shape uh, shakes out. Then we get the Elite defeating Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh. Look, this match was a celebration of the Elite resigning. This is what this was. Um, don't kid yourselves as to why the news of them resigning was only leaked yesterday or the day before, right? Don't kid yourselves. This was all planned. The 200th episode, this was all planned. They've probably resigned months ago at this point. Months, maybe weeks. It, like this, you know, they didn't put pen to paper on Tuesday morning is what I'm saying. This was put together. Crazy finish. Look, this was just a, a wild, funny, dopey little affair that was just meant to feel good. Celebrate the elite. Crazy finish where you got Sanjay Dutt involved, Karen Jarrett involved, the Hardys got involved, Cutler, and then Hangman Page pops in out of nowhere to buckshot Lariat Lethal and the one-winged angel by Omega to finish the job. Um, so let's talk about it. They've re-signed. Um, they, they, they've officially re-signed. We can finally end the speculation. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to everyone who had all these, this insider news that the elite were not going to re-sign with W at the very least the Bucks, that the Bucks had no intention of re-signing with AEW, that they were on their way out. I want to be, give a big shout out to all, uh, all of you out there. And, uh, but the, you know, I'm having like, should we be surprised? Not really. You know, if anything, I'm just content that the anxiety that a lot of AEW fans were feeling in regards to the elite potentially leaving is is done and that we can we can move on, we can stop worrying about this shit, we can stop bringing it up at every corner and and then at the same time having dopes try to trick us into believing that they are that they are unquestionably leaving. Um so this is all good. Uh and uh it kind of I'm going to join a chorus here of a few people who have had the same thought but you know to my to my defense I did have the same thought as well but there's no way to prove it so but let me join in the chorus if anything I feel like they they signed long-term deals what is long-term I feel long-term is more than two years it's probably more than three it's five long-term is seven long-term I don't long-term deals but I feel like if 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 this was the time to go to WWE let me, say, let me say that again. I feel like this was the time for them to go to WWE. If only for Kenny. Like if Kenny ever wanted to have his World Wrestling Entertainment run at 41. What is he? He's 41, right? Isn't he? Hang on. Like he's, how old is Kenny Omega? He's 31. He's 39? 1983? I thought he was older. I really thought he was older than that. Are we sure on this information, Google? Um, it's wild to no. He's, well, yeah, he's thirty-nine right now. He's going to be forty this year. 
it's wild. Okay. Well, hey. <laughs> Nonetheless, this was probably the opportunity to uh, to uh, to have his run, right? Because look, he is getting up there in age, right? The injuries, as we know, are piling on. So if he ever wanted something remotely possible for him to 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 do, well, this was the opportunity for him to jump in and do it, right? This was the the like if let's say the deal is long term. Let's say what? Do we agree that five years is long term? Let's say five years, okay? He'll be 45 by the time he's open again to go wrestle for the Fed. Now, wrestlers in their 40s are still having very successful careers, but, you know, would he have the same type of impact in WWE at the age of 45 with injuries still being there, maybe more injuries piling on, so on and so forth? Will he still have the same type of impact? Would WWE still be interested in signing him at the same time? You know, that's that's a whole other thing. If only to just be like, oh, well, we grabbed we grabbed Kenny Omega as well. That could be, you know, they could just do that and that'd be fine. So I kind of feel like this was the this was the moment to do it, right? This was the time to jump in and, and, and do it. I feel like it's a window of opportunity that probably won't happen again so I'm convinced that Kenny is satisfied at this point with not having ever set foot in world wrestling entertainment I think he's content with that because he's absolutely a guy and he's you know and you you listen to his interviews from you know even years ago where he was saying look I want to stick around I want to build stuff and then when you know when I feel like it's built I want to move on he doesn't say that it's not verbatim but that's what he means so you know it, you can only it it can only uh, 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 mean that right now with AEW he feels he still has more to give, and so and the Bucks said you know it's like look our travel you know we don't want to travel every you know be on the road four days a week we want to see our families and so and see, that's a big deal for these guys it's a huge deal so that was part of the their decision and. And uh, and they're still EVPs as well. Kenny, the Bucks, of course, Hangman Page, who no one was really considering being part of this this negotiation, but clearly he was. Um, he uh, he also resigned. Of course, he's not an EVP, but he's resigned as well. Uh, so you know that that's all fantastic. I've seen people say, "Oh well, the only reason they're not in WWE is because there's a hiring freeze right now. This alleged hiring freeze." That is that you know th this big rumor that people pull out whenever it, it feels convenient for them. You know, it's like oh, the, you know, if it if they're trying to hire someone like Roosh, they're like oh, wait, wait, isn't there a hiring freeze? No, 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 that's just a rumor. But then when they can't sign Roosh, they'll be they'll say oh, hiring freeze. So they're talking about the hot. You know, I've seen not many people, but I've seen the discussion that. Kenny and the Bucks did not go to WWE because there's a hiring freeze. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something very important. Even if there is a quote-unquote hiring freeze, that there was this mandate, if WWE, listen to me very closely, if WWE had an opportunity to bring in 
Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. They would have found a way to do it. Hiring freeze be damned. Well, Ari Emanuel wouldn't... I... Listen, this is such a... We're not picking up some... J, some J-Brown off the indies here. We're not talking about picking up talent that no one has heard about. This is poaching three of the biggest stars of your competitor and bringing them in, bringing them into your side. Not unlike what you did with Cody Rhodes. Okay? If you believe that some self-imposed hiring freeze would have kept WWE from hiring Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, you are naive. They would have found a way to do it. They would have skirted it. They would have sat down. Nick Khan would have sat down with Ari Emanuel and said, look, Ari, we are going to stick it to the competition. If we do this, this is so critical. We won't have another opportunity like this before another five years. And then again, we might not even be interested in blah, blah, blah. It's ridiculous is what it is. If we're being real here, it's all absurd to think that that wouldn't have happened. And hey, <coughs> excuse me, after the match, they have a, you know, a little post-show promo. Uh, they have a little post-match promo and the, you know, Hangman announces, you know, he says, we've re-signed and we're happy to be here. And, you know, and Kenny, it's a whole rah-rah speech, right? And it feels good. And then we find out, <coughs> excuse me, we find out like after the show, people have taped this, MJF came out after the cameras stopped rolling and he cut a promo where he basically said, you know, I'm glad to be here. Tony Khan has made me a, a very rich man in 2024, you know, and it's like, he's basically saying, you know, as opposed to when he's always talking about, you know, the, um, when he's talking about the, you know, the bidding war of 2024, but he's basically saying, I love this place. I love being here and performing with you guys. Isn't it nice to have wrestlers in AEW actually saying, hey, you know what? I'm really happy to be here. Isn't this nice? Because a couple of, a couple of months ago, very systematically, all you'd hear is, can't wait to get out of this place. Then you'd hear, you know, you'd have people subtweeting. You'd have people posting pictures with contracts with other logos on them. And you'd be like, does anyone want to fucking work here? Does anyone want to work in this fucking place? So isn't it nice that the the four guys, the elite, like who you know, whose name is in the name of the company, come on, they say, we're super happy to be here. We're glad to, we're, there's no other place for us to be. You have MJF, fucking heel of the company, coming out and saying this place is great. Got Roosh, of all fucking people, saying, AEW fans are the greatest. It's like, isn't this nice? Shouldn't you be happy to be making gobs amount of money doing what you love and being on national TV every week? Feels like it's a fair trade, right?
You know, because I'm at a point, I was at a point where it's like, look, if you're not happy, hit the bricks. You know, if all you're going to do is sit around and bitch about it, just hit the bricks, baby. That's all. So it's, it's refreshing. It's nice. Now we have to talk about this awesome fucking angle with Swerve Strickland and AR Fox. So they do a whole bit backstage and they're with Prince Nana. And they do a whole bit backstage where A.R. Fox sort of explains, you know, justifies why he turned on Darby. He's like, you didn't even call me. You know, you say you wouldn't, there wouldn't have been a Darby Allen without A.R. Fox, but you didn't even call me when I got signed here. The fuck, man? Took you five years, whatever, you know. And then Strickland says, you know, you know, and your family, but when you're a mogul affiliate, you know, I'll take care. Now that A.R. Fox is a mogul affiliate, I'll take care of him and I'll put him in one of my movies. I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then we get the fucking great, like great angle of Fox and and um, and Swerve with Nana on the camera, right? Okay. Going to, to, to Nick Wayne's, you know, training garage and his training partners are there. And they just beat the shit out of this kid. They beat him up so hard. Crack a picture. Like, they crack a picture of, like, of, 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 of Buddy Wayne and Nick. Like, Nick is like, what, 13 on the picture? 12, something like that? Like, you know, crack it over his head. And we've got Nick Wayne, who isn't even old enough to drink, running the razor on a fucking pre-tape for this company. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and they, and they, you know, they throw skateboards out the window. They try, like, there's blood all over the canvas. And, 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 and Swerve is in full control of the situation. And he is, he looks like a fucking mastermind and the most evil villain you have on earth. And A.R. Fox is, he's just eating up the scenery and he's just, he's doing everything great. This, these are the types of, you know, vignettes and shit that work because they, they, they connect directly into pro wrestling. They make sense. There's no hidden cameras. This was an ambush, it was an assault. And it was gritty and it was well done. And these guys, these mogul affiliate guys don't give a shit. And it is awesome. Like these guys are, are terrible people. Vindictive and awful. This worked so much. And they even have call. They have them call. They, they pick up the phone, the, 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 the Nick Wayne's phone. And they want him to call Darby. So they put the phone in front of their face because it's the, you know, it's the facial recognition gimmick. And he's bleeding. He's got the, like a, he's on the Muda scale. And, 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 and Swerve is like, oh, the f can't unlock the phone because uh, the face doesn't recognize you, right? Because of all the blood. And then he starts smearing it all over his face. And it is, there. it's that kind of good uncomfortable where you're like, this is really awful. Like this is this is bad shit. This is this is villainous 
bad, terrible shit that I'm watching, but it's compelling. He says, all right, unlock your phone, unlock your phone, motherfucker. And, he's, and he does the, the, the thing, it's call him, call him, poor Nick Wayne. He's all alone, his buddy's got, you know, kicked in the head, they're out. Fucking useless dance partners he's got, tell you what. All of this worked. What a, a, a tremendous, tremendous angle. And I, I, look, Strickland's a star. I've been telling you all this for years at this point. This guy's ceiling is the top. And if he keeps pulling off shit like this, this ruled. Absolutely ruled. And we had Aussie Open defending for the first time their newly won Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship against El Hijo del Vikingo and Commander. Uh, I like this match a lot as well. The Lucha Boys are in top form here. Vikingo, Vikingo, I'm gonna try to get the pronunciations down, does a standing tornillo thing in the ring. Like, I don't even know how he did that. Like, I'm just looking at that and I'm like, and I post it in the Discord and people say it's cheat codes, Warren. I'm like, oh, sure. That that actually makes much more sense. Because, you know, I don't understand physics and reality looking at what that kid does. It's a, it's outstanding. Stereo dives by Commander and Vikingo that are caught by uh, Ozzy Open into a super collider on the floor. Commander lands a destroyer off the back of Vikingo while Vikingo is in a fireman's carry position on Mark Davis's back. But... Aussie Open, get the Coriolis for the win. I, just great stuff. Just great fucking stuff. More, more Lucha guys on Dynamite. More. Because yes, I get mighty Nitro vibes when I see this. Have more Lucha guys come out, have them fight each other, and have some get some wins though, because Commander cannot get a win in the TK-verse. Ring of Honor, Dynamite, wherever the fuck. Commander needs some wins. Have these guys fight each other. Get a video package for CM Punk versus Ricky Starks for the real world title this week on Collision. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, of course, is the special guest referee. And this leads us to our main event for the AEW Women's World title, where Hikaru Shida defeated Tony Storm to become the new champ. Good match that had a really compelling final stretch. I thought the final the final stretch of this match helped raise it because I thought it was good, you know? But it really it really took off in the final third of the match. You get some interference from the outcasts throughout the match, but it was useful, you know? Useful interference. That's all built into the match, into the drama it creates. You know, it's not just like doing shit for doing shit. No, this was all purposeful. It melt it. You know, will Shida overcome it? Kendo stick gets slid into the ring, but Shida uses it on the outcasts, not on Tony Storm, to avoid a disqualification. Uh, while the ref is, is distracted with all this kendo stick nonsense, Tony Storm, Tony Storm spray paints Shida in the face, lands the Storm zero, but Shida kicks out and she rolls up Tony for the win. Look, I, I enjoyed this match and I am shocked. I shouldn't have been shocked. I should have seen this coming. The minute that they announced it as the main event, I should have been like, we're getting a title change, but it didn't make sense. So then I was like, well, then someone's coming out. Then there's there's a big reveal. It's like, oh, is Britt Baker gonna come out to challenge? That's not big enough. 
I was like, I did, I did bring it in Mercedes Monet. No, that wasn't it. But I was like, then all the scenarios are going through my brain. It's like, uh, are they bringing in, is Utami Hayashishta coming in? And I'm looking up on, you know, stardom. Is she busy? What is she doing? What are we doing? You know, is Julia coming in? What, what's the thing here? But we got a new champ. And I'm surprised. I'm, I don't know what the plan is here. I don't know what they're doing, what they're going to do with Tony. I don't know what even the plan is for, for Sheeta moving forward. They've probably got something in the chamber here. Like this, this can't be random. There has to be a plan which is absolutely directly tied into um, to the uh, to the pay per views coming up in August and September. Like it has to. But listen, they talked about it, you know, and it's been a talking point among fans as well. Uh, and and Excalibur brought it up. You know, Sheeta never got her you know her her reign in front of an audience she carried the division throughout the pandemic she was fantastic in that role as well uh let's see how she carries out how it carries out now now that she's in front of a crowd two-time women's champion the good for her uh let's just go i'm excited for this uh, anytime we get some mix up in this uh, some stuff mixing up in the women's division i like it and I feel this opens up some possibilities and things that I don't necessarily see coming, which is all the more interesting. So a good main event to close out a very good episode of Dynamite. You got some great matches. You got shit happening. You got some great angles. You got some good storytelling. The elite are back. Feels good. All of this feels good. I'm really excited for... for for how all of this is uh, is gonna is gonna play out over the next few weeks, but hey, in the meantime, we're gonna wrap it up for today, and I want to thank you all for listening and watching, uh, or both, or either, because I said and listen. Thank you. Um, likes, subscriptions, uh, reviews, ratings, all that stuff helps out a great deal. You know what? I'm going to be back. If we talk about some programming, I'm going to be back this Saturday. For the, uh, for the continuation of my daily G1 Climax 33 coverage. We're going to be in the final night. It's going to be the final night of Block A this week, this, this Saturday. So, you know, uh, if you want to be there for that, that's when I'm going to be back. Also, you can watch all of, the, uh, all of my previous episodes if you want to catch up with the G1. Because now we're really into the nitty gritty in the final moments before we qualify for the playoffs and all that. So, it's getting really, really exciting. And, of course, I will be back on Sunday for the AEW Collision Review. So, Wherever you decide to come back and see me, I'll be around. I will see you next time.